I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So you know what happens when you win a Super Bowl, right? Everybody gets paid. <laughs> we saw 22 starters come back, and yes, they didn't come back for free. Uh, many of those got paid as well. You know who else got paid? Bruce Arians got paid. Bruce Arians had a salary increase. They didn't add any years to his deal. You know, I guess it was 2019. He signed a four-year contract with a team option after that. So he's going to have the same contract, but he gets a salary increase. It's undisclosed, obviously. And Jason Light, the Bucks GM, well, he not only uh, gets what I would assume is a salary increase, but also gets some years extended to his contract. And I, I believe that him and Bruce were married up in terms of, of the length of the deal. I think they both were effectively could be signed through 2023. So uh, the Bucks deciding to add some, some years to Jason Light. Jason is 50. Bruce Arians is 68. Um, you know, it's clear that at some point, we don't know when, Bruce Arians will decide not to coach. Uh, although if you look at what Nick Saban just signed, maybe he'll coach till he's 80. I don't know. But um, – but yeah, so it's a, it's a you know everybody gets paid and and you know what, gosh darn it they deserved it because you know for all the things that Jason Light went through, um, six years no playoffs not many GMs can survive that but he he was responsible for building a roster that was attractive enough and good enough for Tom Brady to select the Bucks to come here as a free agent and then um, use these same players with a few additions like Rob Gronkowski and, and some others. Uh, to win to win a Super Bowl. And, you know, and Bruce Arians, meanwhile, Steve, he's building what I think is a Hall of Fame resume. If you consider the totality of his 40 years in coaching, right, going all the way back uh, to his days as a head coach at Temple and then, um, you know, through the NFL in, in, in Pittsburgh and Indianapolis as an assistant, winning a Super Bowl with the Steelers as the offensive coordinator, uh, that sort of thing, and then going on to the Indianapolis Colts, Coach of the Year, going to the Arizona Cardinals where nobody ever won coach of the year and then winning a Super Bowl with the Bucks. Needless to say, if he won another one, I think he's a lock. But I, I think he's he's pretty much built what could be considered right now a Hall of Fame resume. I can't imagine there's a lot of coaches that have two Super Bowl victories and are not in the Hall of Fame. So if he gets a second one, it almost has to be a lock at that point. It, it, it virtually is. Um, I, I guess – there are there is an exception or two. I mean, Tom Flores just got in. Um, I guess George Seifert may have more than one. I'm okay. not really sure. Yep. I think he I think he might have two. But uh, aside from him, and then he went to Carolina and lost a lot of games. But yeah, I mean, I think the Super Bowl you, you definitely start there, and then I think the coachings of the years and mm-hmm. just at two different just, or two different teams. I mean, it's not like he did right. it the same team. Sure, and he easily could have been that with the Bucks last year. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they discounted a lot of times. Belichick would discount it too because he had Tom Brady, he had good teams. Well, but if you remember, they finished second in their division last year. They didn't win their division. They no, didn't. they didn't. You're I right. Mean, you know, they had to win. You know, what the last four games, and then they went on the roll of four straight in the postseason. Sure, to that's get to correct. the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, going into the playoffs, it's not like they were the Super Bowl favorites at that. No, point. they weren't. They didn't have that kind of year, and, and he probably didn't deserve it, but. Um, but we, but in its totality, you know, he, his, his resume can match almost anybody's. Of course, we don't know where it ends. I mean, look, 
they could win another one. Um, they've got Brady for this season. Most of the starters back, all the starters back, most of the team is back. they got Brady for next season if he chooses to play, and I think he will until he's 45. There's no indication that he doesn't want to play. So, you know, you could be looking at at least a two-year window. What's going to be interesting for me is to see what Arians does. You know, th- there's a part of me that says as long as Brady here is here, Arians wants wants that ride. You know, that he wants to see how many how many Lombardi trophies he can pile up, and rightfully so. He's got his coaching staff. He's got an entire staff of guys that go back, some of them 30 years with him. Um, but what will, you know – What's what's well, I don't know the answer to this is that if Arians continues to be a head coach um, through the term of this contract, it's inevitable to me that he's going to lose one or both of his coordinators. Now, he will tell you, you know, behind Todd Bowles is Larry Foote. OK, and there will be somebody behind Byron Leftwich if he no longer calls the plays. Um, but I'm here to tell you, I was surprised that, you know, neither of those guys got head coaching gigs. Leftwich wasn't even interviewed. For one, uh, Bowles had uh, two or three interviews. I think he turned down the Detroit Lions interview after he realized that they were pretty much uh, had made a decision. But it, it's going to be it's going to be hard for for them to keep the entire band together. There's a lot of assistant coaches, you know, that that would stay here under Arians. But you just wonder, like, it, it, will there come a point? Um, he's going to be 69 in October. Will there come a point when he says, you know, I, I let's go ahead and at least name a coach in waiting, which is what, you know, they, they sort of did in Indianapolis, I think, with uh, when Tony Dungy left with Jim Caldwell. Um, I, I don't know that Bill Belichick's ever going to retire, but if he did, you could see a Josh McDaniels maybe stepping in there. So they may lose those guys before Arians is done. But, um, yeah, everybody everybody gets paid, man. <laughs> everybody gets paid when you win Super Bowl. So was there any cap circumvention in this scenario? I mean, that's, you know, that's yeah. the big term around Tampa teams at this point. Yeah, I know, especially with uh, Nikita Kucherov. Well, who can they stash until the playoffs? I mean, last year it was Vita Vea. I think that's a Tampa Bay tradition where you stash injured players and then you bring them out right at the, the key point in the playoffs and then all of a sudden, you know, the worm turns. I mean, that really, if you go back and look at what the Bucks and they were playing better, they were playing some bad teams. But their defense, particularly in the Green Bay, Bay game when Vita Vea came back, that's when Aaron Rodgers had fits because all of a sudden – um, they got, you know, there were no double teams on the outside, and, and Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett took turns um, using Rodgers as a seat cushion. So, I mean, that, that, sort of, that sort of opened things up, and he was great in the Super Bowl as well. They chased Patrick Mahomes around for 500 yards of scrambling. So I, I think that, you know, yeah, when you get a guy like that, Nikita Kucherov, I don't know if there's a Hall of Fame player sitting out there for the Bucks that uh, might pop out uh, at some point. But, um, you know, look, I – I'm happy for both those guys. Those are both really good dudes. I mean, our working relationship with both of them is great. If you don't like BA, you don't like people. Um, he's one of the easiest guys to get along with, um, you know, which reminds me, by the way, I saw where Frank Caliendo is in town um, like today. Yeah, I think today he's doing, yeah, I think he's in town, yeah, this. On the 7th and 8th or okay. the 8th? Yeah, and I, I knew it was like coming that. up soon. He was coming to town, so. Can you? I mean, I I need to get out there, and not because I I've done John Gruden like he you know, with him and on the radio and stuff, but like, can you imagine what that Tampa centric show will be when two of his best impersonations are Bruce Arians and John Gruden? <laughs> it's just going to be. I just want a conversation, you know. Win or lose, we lose, baby. You know, and and, and I mean, it's going to be hilarious. So uh, this is neither here nor there. But yeah, hey, congratulations to those guys. I mean, I'm happy for them. I, I think it's it's earned. 
Jason hung in there. He was responsible for building a roster that not only got Tom Brady ultimately, but also, you know, Bruce Arians had to be talked out of retirement. He was done coaching. There were some health concerns. He wanted to make sure he got all 52 of his assistant coaches with him so that he could uh, he could run the things sort of as a CEO. And, and the, the Glazers were able to do that. And, uh, you know, look, uh, there's no shortage of revenue on this football team. I, I would expect – and it's not been confirmed. I mean, the NFL has to announce they're going to have full stadiums if they haven't already. I think that's the intention. And when they do, the most fullest of full is going to be Raymond James. I I think it might be hard to find a ticket unless you go on a secondary market and pay thousands and thousands of dollars to see a game. I don't care which one at Raymond James next year. I mean, I think the season pass sales will be unprecedented for the Bucks in 2021. And um, you know what? That that's what happens when when you win and when you win Super Bowls like they did with Tom Brady, who's coming back. So good for them. There was some other news uh, also with the Bucks. This one I don't I don't know if you guys remember we talked about this on the podcast. I wrote a story about Navy defensive back Cameron Kinley. Uh, never talked to a more impressive guy I think uh, on the phone certainly and and just talking to his coach at Navy. This guy is a defensive back from Memphis, Tennessee, and was recruited by a lot of schools, including, um, you know, some Ivy League schools and some other uh, military academies. But he goes to Navy and he excels, but not just on the field, but also off. He was the president of his class. He was a guy that uh, gave a commencement speech uh, just a couple weeks ago, presented a jacket to Kamala Harris, who was there for the commencement, um, he has aspirations politically. It doesn't mind telling you, not only is he president of the class, he'd like to be one day president of the United States. And, and there are very few people that would tell you that he's not going to accomplish that, that know him. So uh, nonetheless, he, his other dream was to play in the National Football League. And that that is no longer an impossibility. I mean, I think for years now, you know, the military academies have allowed uh, a provision if if players are drafted and or signed by professional teams, uh, whether it's the NBA or the NFL, um, they can petition to have their uh, you know their commitment delayed. I mean, they're still going to serve the years that they have promised to serve, but they are just delayed until after their careers are over. And this has been fairly routine. I mean, there hasn't I I don't know of any exceptions over the last few years. In fact, you know, some very players at the at, at, Navy, at the Naval Academy. Uh, as recently as last year, had had that occur. But the news came out, and it's sad, really, in some ways, that the uh, acting secretary of the Navy, Thomas W. Harker, uh, decided that he would not delay his commission. And so it's been denied, and therefore Kinley's pro career is over before it started. And it's it's very disappointing. He obviously is upset about it. Um you know, there's and furthermore, the thing that's even more upsetting is there's no explanation. He didn't receive a written explanation of why he was being made the exception. Um, there is also no appeal. He is not allowed to appeal this. So he wrote a letter to uh, Tennessee U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn, and he's from Tennessee, so that's where he would start. And he just talked about the disappointment of all that. And he just said, look, I'm well aware and embrace the commitment that I made to serve when I arrived at the Naval Academy. Um, but instead I want to represent my country and the Navy as an NFL player, just as other players have been able to do. If allowed to pursue this opportunity in the NFL, I'll use the platform to remote service, respect for the armed services, and show young men that they can succeed in the most demanding professions, 
no matter their background. And he comes out of uh, Lusane Collegiate School in Memphis. Uh, you know, he, he was a three-sport star. His dream was to go to Vanderbilt, but he turned down opportunities to go to Air Force in Princeton and Yale. And I talked to his agent, uh, Ryan Williams Jenkins, and he's, he's a Navy Academy graduate, graduate himself and a football player and a decorated veteran, and he just doesn't understand why they chose to, to, to do this or to deny this uh, request for him. Because uh, a year ago, Kinley's teammate, Malcolm Perry, with the Dolphins as a receiver, um, he had his commission delayed. And this year, there's four players from other service academies, Parker Ferguson, Nolan Laufenberg, uh, George Savonic of the Air Force Academy, and, and um, uh, John uh, Rodigan from West Point. They've all signed with NFL clubs, and they're allowed to play. So I, I hope that, you know, some of the publicity, uh, I hope there's some kind of, of uh, reconsideration here for Kinley, who when he showed up at the rookie minicamp was very impressive. I mean, he made he intercepted Trask. He had a bunch of uh, passes to defense. He's, he's a fast, long defensive back like they love, and he would have been a, a probably an impact player on special teams had he made the club. So – disappointing and and you know like i said just a, a a guy that that navy pushed out there as the best of the best i mean i talked to his head coach when i was writing a story about a month or so ago and he said you know i'm around a lot of great leaders you know i'm, I'm at the naval academy but you know cameron kinley represent the best of all of us i mean he, he was one of the guys that that you just hope everybody can can emulate and for some reason um they saw it not fit for him to play in the nfl so disappointing on many many levels okay so we got some mailbag questions we didn't get to we got some new mailbag questions as well um before before we get to that though you and i were in a conversation late last night when the u.s men's soccer team was playing uh mexico yes i'll try i'll try yes that's what they they call the team yeah and it was it was one it was two to one and then i think a goal was disallowed well no so when we hooked up to record on sunday night uh, the U.S.-Mexico were playing in the first-ever CONCACAF Nations final. Right. Mexico had scored 60 or 72 seconds into the match or 62 seconds into the match, something like that. Mm-hmm. It was one nothing. When we hopped on, Mexico had scored a second goal. It was going to be 2 nothing, except it went to the VAR, the Video Assisted Review, or referee, and they ruled the goal was offside. So it stayed one nothing. And a couple minutes later, the U.S. scored – uh, Gio Reyna, Claudia Reyna's son, who's a longtime U.S. national team member, scored to make it 1-1. And so when we recorded the show, the game was 1-1. Right. I think we wrapped up shortly right before the second half began. And I was watching the game. You weren't, but I had told you about it before we started recording. Well, it got crazier after that. And when I say crazier, I mean maybe like lightning hurricane second period crazy. <laughs> right. Uh, so in the 69th minute, the U.S. goalie, Zach Steffen, made a save, wasn't touched, and hurt his leg and had to leave the game. So the U.S. is now tied 1-1 with their arch rival, who they normally don't do very well against. And their backup goalie, Ethan Horvath, comes in. About 10 minutes later, Mexico gets a goal, take the lead. It's the 79th minute. So you've got about 10 minutes left in the game as Mexico takes a 2-1 lead. And you're thinking, that's it, game over. Well, less than three minutes later, the U.S. scores on a, uh, a set piece. Weston McKinney on the, the uh, corner kick. 
uh, scores, heads it in, and it, now it's 2-2 with about eight minutes to go in the game. And you're thinking, this is great. So then we go to extra time because it's a final, so they play 30 minutes of extra time. It's not a golden goal situation where the next goal wins. It's, it's extra. You play 30 minutes. The first uh, half, the, the, the extra time was fine. The second half, with, in the 114th minute, so you've got about six minutes to go in the game, barring stoppage time. Christian Pulisic gets into the, the, um, into the box and uh, is trying to score a goal, and the Mexican defender cut him off and tripped him but also got the ball. Referee says, everything's fine, no foul, play on. Well, they end up going to video review and look at it, and the trip occurred before the defender got the ball, and they called it a penalty shot. Oh, that had to go over well. Oh, yeah, <laughs> well, the Mexican, Mexican fans page. were not very happy. And this was played in Denver last night. And they had to stop the game in the first half because apparently Mexican fans uh, have some homophobic chants that they chant. And a lot of Mexican team members have asked the fans to stop doing this, stop doing this over and over. And they actually stopped the game for a few minutes in the first half because this happened and threatened that if it continues that they'll resume the game tomorrow with no fans. Uh, but So the Mexican fans not very happy. Christian Pulisic buries the penalty shot. So you're at you know, five, six minutes to go in this game, maybe a couple extra minutes with stoppage time. U.S. is now up three to two. Crazy. Mexico makes a push, of course. About three minutes later, they uh, have a shot on goal in the box. It goes around a little bit, ends up going out of bounds. Well, they claim there was a handball. Referee didn't call it, but they go to video review, and they said it was a handball. So now Mexico gets Mm. a penalty shot with about two minutes to go in this game. And their captain comes up and takes it against the backup U.S. goalie, Ethan Horvath, who's from Denver, by the way. And Horvath guessed right and stops it. Stones him. Wow. Wow. Absolutely stoned him on the, the goal or the, the penalty shot. And U.S. ends up beating their arch rival, Mexico, 3-2. to two. It was an incredible game. Just back and forth, momentum. And, and, and it's only, what, the second time I think the U.S. has trailed Mexico and come back to win in history? And, and they trailed both one nothing and 2-1 in this game and ended up winning 3-2. It was just incredible. Fun game to watch. So what, what does this do now just in terms of the confidence? Or what does this do for, for the U.S. team? Well, they didn't make the Olympics. That, that happened back in the spring. Right. They failed to make the Olympics. But they have a new coach, Greg Berhalter. And, mm-hmm. and this, this U.S. team that they played last night, average, average age was 24 years and however many days. It's a very young team. Uh, a lot of these guys are playing in Europe, getting a lot of Christian Pulisic, you've probably heard, uh, but Sergio Dest and Weston McKenney, and they have a lot of good young players that are, I mean, this game, this win can only help grow the team, uh, make the, you know, confidence and everything else you need for this. Um, you know, World Cup qualifiers are coming up soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a new coach, and, and but it's a lot of young players, and, you know, wins like this over a team that's better than you, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Traditionally in history, it'll you know just like any team that a young team that gets a, a big victory like this yeah. um, against an arch rival you rarely beat. I mean you know Mexico pretty much owns the U.S. in this rivalry, so uh, you know it, hopefully it's good things and it propels this team to keep growing and getting better and better. So more shenanigans with fans, which I you know we've seen this now. Oh, yeah. In other sports as well, but it's got to stop. It's, it can get really bad sometimes in soccer, but it's, it's we've seen in the NBA uh, just all kind. Of, I mean, buying a ticket, folks, does not give you the right 
to throw things at people mm-hmm. um, or to or to start fights in in the seats or to act like a fool. Um, and what's where this is going to lead is is you know what in some countries if it gets bad enough they just stop playing with fans and so you know if you don't want to see teams in person then you know you better stop acting up i i don't understand why people think um you know the the price of a ticket allows them to be complete fools but uh um, yeah, they were throwing water bottles and soda bottles yeah, and i mean you they know, hit so, uh, Gio Reyna uh, in the head they hit one of the mexican players in the head straight on um at different times in in the match um just Scream and yell, cheer, boo, have at that. But, yeah, why are you throwing things? Yeah, I I don't get it. But, hey, to each his own, I guess. But uh, good for the U.S. It was an exciting game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm disappointed they're not in the Olympics. I mean, that's that's not good. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, hopefully I think it's they the third make... straight Olympics they didn't make. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, so I hope they can somehow find their ways back into the World Cup. I mean, women's women's soccer, the women's soccer team, for all that they have accomplished, there's there's no parallel to what they have done versus the men's, and they've kind of had to carry the flag a little bit for the U.S. in soccer, and good for them. Um, you'd like to just see the men get back into the fray a little bit. Okay, so we got all kinds of of uh, questions, and some left over, and some new ones. So let's get started. All right, we'll start with uh, John, who asked, Assuming the Lightning win their series against the Hurricanes, which upcoming teams would be the toughest challenge for them in the Eastern, or he said Eastern Conference and Stanley Cup Finals, but there isn't an Eastern Conference Finals this year because of the realigned divisions. It's basically just the semifinals or the third round of the playoffs. But who would be the toughest team for them to challenge? I mean, I go back and forth. I mean, if you're talking about what will be the Stanley Cup final, I think they're going to probably find their toughest challenge there. Um, Obviously, some team will have had to navigate their way, much like the Lightning have. In terms of, you know, as we do this podcast right now, uh, the Islanders and the um, Boston Bruins series is still ongoing. That would be the next round for the Lightning, based yeah. on the, the everything's reseeded, but based on right. everybody's based records. on where the seeds are. So yeah. if, if the Lightning were to advance, they're going to play the winner of that series. I don't know how I feel about those two teams. Um, my gut tells me, for whatever reason, even though the Islanders, I mean, they played them both, but the Islanders were a tough out a year ago. My gut tells me that Boston is probably the team you don't want to play. And I don't have a good answer for that. It's just those guys, for whatever reason, seem to get under under my skin when I watch them. I wonder if they get under the lightning skin as well. Um, but I, I'm gonna. Am I wrong? I'm gonna say Boston for some reason. Well, I, I, I think traditionally Boston, the lightning match up very well to Boston. I mean, mm-hmm. Boston has the perfection line of Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand, and that is a tremendous right. line. Um, so dangerous, particularly on the power play, but even five on five play. But they've never really had a second line that could score. And so the Lightning have always matched up against Boston because if you can shut down that one line, stay off the penalty kill, and contain that line. And and years ago it was the Braden Point line. More recently it's been the Sorelli line. That It's their job to stop that line or to contain them. And then you take advantage the rest of the time. Boston this year at the trade deadline traded for Taylor Hall, a former NHL MVP, was was on the Sabres on a one-year deal this year. They did nothing this year, so they traded him to Boston. That has now given Boston a second scoring line, which now makes that team, I'm not going to say twice as dangerous, but a very different-looking team than what the Lightning have faced in years past because that top line is so good, but they've never really had that second line that had dangerous scores, and now adding Taylor Hall has done that. That being said, 
you know, that makes Boston a tougher team than maybe the one they faced last year or three years ago in the playoffs when they beat them in five games both times. The Islanders, though, are very structured defensively. They're not going to score a ton of goals on you. But they're going, they're, they're going to play very structured defense, and it's going to be tougher to score goals on them than Boston. So you can take your pick which one you'd prefer in that situation. Um, I, I tend to think the Boston I, matchup's a better one for the Lightning. Do you? Okay. Uh, because I mean, I, because I, I, I the, the Lightning skill for skill can match up with them. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think the Islanders can frustrate them at times, but we saw in the playoffs last year they handled it, they handled it fine. I mean, yeah, that, I that think... structure and Barry Trotz is a, is a hell of a coach there. You know, I, I, look, I, I think the Lightning will be favored against either one of those teams, whoever they face, assuming they advance to the next. Right. Team. They're better than each either team, and, and they will be favored, and rightfully so. Uh, and I don't think it really matters in the end of the day. But but listen, I, I there's I'll say this. There's something about Boston. Mm-hmm. The Boston-Tampa Bay rivalry uh, for years uh, has – you know, with when it was the Red Sox and the Rays, I mean, mm-hmm. um, you could say that. I guess now I mean, Brady and the, yeah, the pa- Patriots the pa- and Patriots <laughs> and all of that. I mean, you know, Tampa Bay has taken so much from Boston. <laughs> from a fan's perspective, I think you know Boston gives you more ire. Yeah, gets the blood boiling a little more than the Islanders. It's, and even know, though the Islanders are a New York team, they're a Long Island's team, mm-hmm. right? They're right. not New York City. They're not the Rangers, right? right? So you're still going to get plenty of eyeballs on yeah. on whoever they play. You play, you play Boston, though. That would be well, that and that's a division foe too. I mean, this year it wasn't because of realignment. That's right. But traditionally, but that is a divisional it. foe. So you face them four or five times a season. That's you face right. them in the playoffs several times. So I mean, it gets your There's history there. Yeah, yeah. It, it gets things a little more intense because you you know the teams better. You know, mm-hmm. you play Boston more than you do the Islanders. So you know, there's that part of it too. So exactly right. But I think coming Stanley Cup, I mean. I still think Colorado's the best team in hockey this year. I do, year. too. I do, too. All the Las Vegas is but giving them everything. Since the first – at the end of the first period of game two, Vegas has completely outplayed Colorado. I mean, manhandled them. I think the shots are double for Vegas in the last two and a half games. Um, I, Vegas is, is – they're a more structured team than Colorado. I think Colorado's got more talent. But that – Vegas is is I mean Colorado now is going home for Game Five, but they're kind of teetering a little bit because they have not played well for two and a half games now. They won Game yeah. One, which I think was more of a scheduled loss than anything. Right, right. With with they had a week of rest. Vegas was coming off of a Game Seven versus Minnesota, playing less than forty eight hours later in Colorado. Sure. Kind of what the Islanders faced against the Lightning last year in Game One. Yep. When the Islanders had to go to seven games when the Lightning had finished in five. And then they had to go from Toronto to Edmonton in one day to go play. Yeah. You know, it, it, you kind of see those scheduled losses. The Lightning blew the Islanders out in that game. Colorado did that to Vegas in game one. Colorado had a really good first period in game two, which allowed them to win that game. But since that first period, Vegas has outplayed Colorado tremendously in the in two and a half games. So, um, And then Montreal is surprising everyone, and, and they're up three games to none against the, the Jets. Now, we're recording this Monday afternoon. Games, yeah. uh, game four will be tonight or Monday yeah, night. We'll so by the time we'll you hear this, yeah. Montreal could have already advanced, or maybe there'll be a game five later this week. But right, and we'll see if the Lightning can uh, can close this series out in five. If they do that, uh, they'll get some time off, and and that certainly is an advantage. I think uh, if if that other series goes uh, seven games, so you know all that could work in their favor. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Boston, uh, and and you can disagree. I mean, I. I 
I, I don't think it matters. To be honest with you, I think they're going to beat either team. I just feel like the Lightning, barring some injury that we're not familiar with, uh, the way they're playing and getting better at, at times. Now, they can't – you can't allow four goals in a period. You know, I don't know what was going on with that with that game on Sunday but or on Saturday, but, uh, you know, uh, barring something weird or some injury, they sure look like a team that's headed back to at least – the Eastern Conference or the or the finals, their finals, their finals are their side of it, and then probably to the Stanley Cup final, I think, to with a chance to defend their title, which is not easy to do. It's not easy to get back there. It's hard to get there once, much less the second time, much less win it twice. So what they're doing, uh, and I've said this and I'll continue to say it, we are watching these the absolute pinnacle of Tampa Bay sports right now. Do not blink, folks. The Rays uh, still with, what, the best record in the American League, mm-hmm. leading the East. Um, you know, the Bucks with 22 returning starters and coaching staff and front office returning to defend their Super Bowl title. And then the Lightning, who look for all the world like they're going to get a shot at a second Stanley Cup uh, in, in two years. It, it do not blink because this is this is a rare, rare air here. We're not going to do this very often. All right. Mike had, had uh, tweeted in. Uh, he's a frequent tweeter of ours and a listener. What's your take on Wander Franco coming up this summer? Would he become every day shortstop, or would the Rays keep Walls at shortstop and move Franco around, or could all three young infielders become utility guys? I mean, look, I, I you know, when uh, the news broke that they were trading Willie Adamas, a lot of people assumed that 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 meant Wander Franco was was next. And the fact of the matter is, he wasn't. And it's been proven that the Rays, again, know what they're doing. <laughs> Let's just leave it to the Rays to decide this because they know better and have proven they know better than others. And I think just the job that Taylor Walls has done, um, you know, it, it, it is hard to to jump in for a popular player like Willie Adamas, but he absolutely, um, you know, can, could do it with the glove. They knew that immediately. He's done a nice job there. Um, it, it, he had to get settled in a little bit at the plate. He's a switch hitter. Uh, you saw the big game he had the other day in Texas. I mean, there's a maturity about him, a little older player, a lot more experience at the minor league level, and I just think they made the right call. Um, I don't know if and when we'll see Wander Franco. Maybe it'll be as late as September. It, injuries will determine that. There's, you know, there's not, they're not going to go through the whole year without anybody else getting hurt on the infield. Uh, and or the outfield. So I, I do think that there will be opportunities for one or, or, or several of those guys to come up at some point, um, maybe even before September. But I I don't know that we're going to see him before that. And, and I don't know that we need to. Um, we've talked about this on the podcast. There's a lot more than just what's your batting average, how many home runs have you hit, and how much are you mashing the ball in AAA. I mean, he just needs to play. And I think you need to have a place for him to play. I mean, they cleared the deck for Taylor Walls. They traded Willie Adamas. They knew that Taylor Walls was going to be their shortstop. So, and if not their shortstop, he's going to play someplace else. So, I mean, you know, that that's the key. You you just don't want to bring him up here and not have a place to play him and not have him in the lineup. And, and you, you know, it's not going to be a back-and-forth situation with him. When he's here, he's here to stay. And there's really no rush. You have the best team in the American League right now. You know, the guys on your roster are doing just fine. Thank you. So ride those guys. And then if you do have an injury or an opportunity to expand the roster, if he can help you somewhere, somehow, uh, defensive replacement, um, offensive pinch hitter, I mean, maybe you do that. But 
more and more as I watch this baseball team, I I don't know that there's room for for anybody right now on the minor league level. Well, Wander's going to have not an issue, but one of the reasons I don't think he'll be called up anytime soon is he's not on the forty man roster. Where Taylor so you gotta, Walls you already get was. Rid of somebody, yeah, Taylor, right? Wall, yeah, Taylor Walls was on the roster. Vidal Bruhan's already on the roster. Kevin Padlow's on the forty man roster. So if you're going to call Wander up, you've got to put him on the 40-man, meaning you've got to take someone off the 40-man. So that's either DFAing a guy, trading a guy, or if you have a guy that's injured that can go to the 60-day injured list, you could do that. Uh, but then at the end of the year, you've got to put that p- person back on the 40-man the or whenever they're healthy. So you, you don't always want to do that. But that is an option. Um, Wander's defense is not as good as, say, Taylor Walls at shortstop or some of the others. Um, it's not that he's a bad defensive player, but he's not. I mean, the Rays consider Taylor Walls an elite shortstop defensively, as far as skill wise. Whether that translates up here and he continues to be good, we'll see. Wander isn't, but I think the bigger issue is, you know, where are you going to play him every day? Now, Mike Brasso's struggling. Brendan Lau hasn't had a very good season. No, that's true. Yeah. Um, Yandy Diaz gives you good at bats, but maybe doesn't have the power you want. I mean, you know, who are you taking out of the lineup to bring up these young guys? And, and at some point, it's going to happen. I mean, Vidal Brujan, Wander Franco, all these guys are coming up at some point. Maybe not this year, but they're coming up. So there's going to be some turnover on the roster, whether it's you trade a Brendan Lau, Mike Brasso. You know, it's possible his time on this roster is very limited at this point because he's not producing much when he's in. Um, you know, you've got Joey Wendell. Presumably, he's going to play somewhere, particularly because of how good he is defensively. When G Man Choi comes back, you assume he takes first base. So, you know, where do you put everybody? And, and that's it's a good problem to have if you're the Rays. And, and a lot of times, injuries take care of itself in this regard. You know, just when you bring someone back, someone else gets hurt or, or something happens and, and it kind of makes a spot for them. But um, if you're going to call up Bruhan and Franco and the others down there, you've got to have, you know, it, like, said, like Taylor Walls, he's in there at shortstop almost every day. You're not bringing Wander Franco up to sit the bench and pinch hit in the seventh inning. That's not what you're bringing him up here for. So you've got to be ready to say, Brendan Lau isn't going to be my everyday second baseman, or you know, we're putting him a third every day, and Joey Wendell's just going to have to split time at second and and with with Brendan Lau or whoever. I mean, you know, it's it's those decisions they got they have to make. But meanwhile, they're winning, so they don't have to rush into any of these decisions. It's not like they're struggling and need Wander Franco's bat to help them win. Do I think his bat could potentially help? Yes, but it's not an urgent rush at this point because they're in first place with the best record in the American League. No, totally agree. I I, I think that's that's a good analysis, and and I'd be surprised if anything different happens. But again, it's a long season, and um, you know, the, you're right. Brasso has has even though he's been put in positions against left-handed pitching mostly has not really um, taken that next step. He's, he has some big moments, but not overall success uh, on a consistent basis. That's a tough role to play, however, and I'm, no one's going to presume that Wander Franco isn't more talented than, than Mike Brasso. And yet, you know, coming off the bench like that, not playing every day, those are tough roles. So I don't know if that's what you want to put Wander in right away. But, yeah, it, it is a matter of time. I just don't know when. Um, but good question. Our friend Craig in Vegas asked, the Rays have two to three arms available soon off the injured list in Chaz Rowe, Chris Archer, and eventually Nick Anderson. They have the best record in the American League. Where do all these arms slot in? 
Also, when is Mikey Brasso off this roster with better options in Durham? We kind of hit that question already. But. We kind of touched on Brasso. I don't know that there's much more there. Uh, as far as, um, you know, Roe, Archer, and, and obviously Anderson, I mean, if Nick Anderson returns to anywhere close to the form he was, and it's hard to suspect he can after the injuries he's had, um, you know, that he was in 2020, then obviously you, you're going to find room for him. I don't know where Archer slots. Uh, I do think, though, there is a general mindset and sort of and, – and they've talked about this and they've actually practiced it, right, where, you know, they are managing innings right now. Um, and because of that, there's opportunities for guys to pitch in different parts of the game. Um, we've seen Michael Waka start. We've seen him in the middle. Um, you know, they are being very careful – with a lot of their pitchers in terms of, of how many innings, even if they're going well, um, you know, they, they are not averse to taking a guy out after two, t- two trips through the lineup. So especially with pitching, I think that the, the number of injuries that you have throughout the year, I think that's why the depth of the Rays is so good. You know, um, the Yankees who have pitched very, very well, um, they're just an injury or two away from, from not having um, sort of the same success on the mound and and the depth that we're talking about when you've got when you're missing guys like Rowe and Archer and Anderson and all that they've accomplished and yet you still are spackling together the best record in the American League it tells you that you're in really good shape and that that depth is working for you and I think they'll just add to it you know you're not in a position where you have to rush any of those guys and yet uh, they may be available when you need them and so that sort of thing just has to play out. I don't think you can slot them in right now. I don't think you're gonna you're gonna necessarily, you know, say. Uh, I mean, look, there's some recent pitch, there's some guys they brought up recently in the bullpen that you know first one in, last one out is what I usually say, right? Um, but I mean, when when Archer's back, he's gonna be on. He's gonna be in the staff. He's gonna be out there. When Nick Anderson's ready, he's gonna pitch. Um, Chad at row, I don't know. I think they were pretty high on him, but. I don't know what his timetable is or what his usage would be when they get him. But those other two guys, if they're if they're healthy and they can help them, they're going to be on the big league roster. They're going to pitch somewhere. I think they'd love to have Nick Anderson and J.P. Fireisen to be their best two closers or you know back end yeah. guys. And right. then you still have Diego Castillo. Chaz Rose a great setup guy as well. Uh, yep. Andrew Kittredge has done well in that role, role too. So that would give you you know four or five guys in the back end. But back end, yeah. You know, Springs again, is, again, like Jeff Springs again. has done well. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Springs has done really well in those leverage situations too. Sure has. Um, you know, but a lot of times these situations take care of themselves too. They do with injuries do. and that. So, um, yeah. look, if you're in a position where you have too many arms for the big league roster, and good problem. You know, you've got look. JP Fireisen's done well in the back end. The better pitcher they got in the Adamas deal, they sent to AAA and Drew Rasmussen. He's mm-hmm. down there building up innings. Luis Patino is down there right now. And we know right. the stuff he's got. Now, you know, he's coming right. off injury and they're putting him down. But to have too many arms is a, a problem that the Rays will just kind of like, you know, the infielders. Where do you put Bruhan and Franco? And, sure. and, and Taylor Walls is up now. But the same with the pitching is that in this year, not knowing how arms are going to hold up, too, having some of those arms that ended up not pitching the first half of the year or not much may be a benefit in the back end of the season, too. Um, where they're going to be fresher and not at the, the innings counts that everybody else is, and we just don't know how arms are going to respond. So, I do think that Archer probably will have to work out of a bullpen, though. Um, maybe he's a, maybe he's an opener, maybe he's a bulk inning guy, but they're starting to settle into a little bit of a rotation here. 
you know, with, well, with some stars. Yeah, or they could pair them up. I mean, early in the yes. year they were pairing guys up, and it was what was it? it was Archer and Waka that were paired up? If that's, I that's right. And that could happen. Yeah, it's possible they could be paired up again too. And you know, you may start one one game and one the next, and you know, they kind of work both work the same games. But we know the Rays are creative in how they figure out how they're going to get to twenty seven outs every game. And you know, they've they've done that. They've kind of recreated it or figured it out better than anyone else in baseball. Sure have. All right, E. Bush asked. Can we see the Rays as buyers or sellers at the trade deadline this year? Um, well, I mean, I think you would be buyers more than sellers. Although, you know, we talked about the depth, so you're you, always yeah. Looking, say you could be both. You might be yeah. Maybe you, you, you trade could, a Brendan Lau so that you can call a young guy up and yeah. You could be trading from strength to try to get better players in the major leagues for sure, uh, or just restocking your your. Uh, you know, if, if you brought some of those players up and you traded them. Maybe you're just restocking your minor league system too, mm-hmm. um, with some of the guys that you you know you've lost that you brought up from the minors, whether that's Franco or somebody else. So um, I kind of like that. Could be both. Um, I would say, you know, anytime you're in the position the Rays are, you're going for it. You know, um, but but you don't want to bankrupt, you know, your minor leagues. I mean that that's been the strength of their franchise is that they. Uh, draft and or trade for and or develop really good depth and players and it is a one through 40 man roster that they beat you with not one to 25 so you, you're not going to borrow too much from from the great prospects that you have down there uh, you know to find you know somebody that might help you for a few innings now so um, but again it's all based on who's available and and what do you need the most and what is your injury situation and and so on and so forth so I, I mean I think I think typically you're you're in this position. You're more of a of a buyer than a seller, um, but who's to say that uh, you won't be selling to make room for some of your own players? So that's that's a very good point. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. All right, Jim tweeted us about our show yesterday in some of your comments, and he says, of course the USFL is going to return to Tampa. It's perfect timing for TB12 to finish his career with another championship ring in a different league. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, if he goes to the USFL, this is not Doug Williams, you know, uh, circa 1980-whatever. Um, that would shock me. When TB12 quits, it won't be to go to another <laughs> league. I'll, I'll, be, I'll stake my reputation on that one. It's funny to think of, though. Look, I, I'm still waiting to see if the Bandits are going to be one of those, what, seven or eight, te- eight teams, I guess, that the promising will return to the USFL and where those teams will be. Would not surprise me based on the, the uh, you know, just the, the popularity of that of that franchise. And it was one of the cornerstones of that league. And things have changed. I mean, this is not 1983 again. Um, thank God with the Bucks, who had the worst franchise in all of sport. Um, you know, with a couple of two and fourteen seasons mixed in, you're going up against the Super Bowl champions. But certainly, the appetite for football has always been down here in the South and in Tampa right now. But you're going from Tom Brady to whoever your quarterback would be for the Bandits. I'm not sure. 
Um, but yeah, now TB12, when he, when, he, when he puts those keys on the table, he's not picking them back up for any league, I don't think. But, um, you know, maybe a celebrity golf league or something like that. But I, I don't <laughs> think you'll see him. Can you imagine? No, no that's, that would never happen. More likely, you're going to see maybe uh, a Bucks quarterback like Ryan Griffin playing for the Bandits <laughs> one day. That's probably, no offense to Ryan, but that's, that's more likely the type of quarterback that's going to hit the USFL. All right, Joe tweeted us. He said, I recently read a Forbes article about the Bucks' value over the years, and it stated that they were the third most valuable franchise back in 1999. Is that pretty much due to the new stadium at the time, since they hadn't even won the Super Bowl yet? Yeah, those, those franchise values are, are uh, first of all, they're estimated by Forbes. And, you know, I, I definitely think, in fact, I can say with some certainty that it was. Um, that the, the stadium opened in 1998, and it was state-of-the-art then. And it had a lot of new revenue streams, you know, the club seats, the sky suites. It had franchise stability, which is also something that adds to the franchise value if you know um, that you're not coming up on a lease situation. They had a very, very favorable lease in terms of how much money they get for every event that's at that stadium and the parking and so on and so forth. So when Forbes looks at franchise values, they're, they're not merely saying, hey, how many you know Lombardi trophies do you have? It's where's the me- what's the media market? Um, at that time, I think they still had a billboard outside saying they had a 100,000-seat waiting list. Um, so there was interest uh, and money actually collected by the Bucks for future years. So it was on such firm footing, and, and you know, uh, it was a good, good football team. Of course, they went on and won the Super Bowl a few years later, that all of that factors into what is really just a uh, it's an eye-grabbing estimation um, on a lot of levels. But stadium value uh, and stadium deals and leases certainly figure into that, and they certainly add immensely to the franchise value because you can just you know, basically you collect and keep more revenue based on your lease and, and, and how many amenities those stadiums have. We'll end on this today, and John had tweeted us. If you were given a time machine that could only be set to go to five sporting events from the past, which would you choose to see? The Koufax World Series perfect game, first organized game of football, Jesse Owens in the 1936 Olympics. What comes to mind? All right, a couple come to mind, and Steve and I kick this around, and we'll just keep adding them as we go along here and think about them. Um, the one that I think we both agree on is the U.S. Olympic hockey team, 1980, Lake Placid. Do you uh, believe in miracles? US being- Yes, yeah, where Al Michaels became a household name. That would be one for sure. Um, and I was in, I think it might have been in a van down by the river. No, I was in a van um, at a, uh, like some road trip my, my first year at Arkansas State and was listening to it, I think, on radio back then. Um, but I, I can't recall the details. So I would love to have been there. Um, I got one that's kind of, I'm not a big boxing fan, but, but one jumped to my mind. That, how about, when Ali and Frazier fought. Oh, that's a the, good one. The Thrilla. I'm going to beat the gorilla with a Thrilla in Manila. Um, he kept calling Joe Frazier, and, and uh, that, that, was, that was a good one. Also, I'll give you, I'll give you one, uh, and, it, and it's only from a historical perspective, and I don't want to go to this game. I want to cover this game. I want to be a reporter at this game because it was so dramatically different back in the day. I want to cover Super Bowl three with Joe Namath. I want to be with Edwin Pope, the late Edwin Pope, the editor of the Miami Herald, sports editor, sitting poolside. Can you imagine (laughs) that? 
we're gonna, I mean, I haven't talked to Tom Brady yet, okay? And I know the pandemic was part of it, right? But I've done Zoom calls and gotten two questions here or there. These guys, for a Super Bowl, sat poolside. <laughs> about Brent Mushberger was there. There's about like six or eight of these dudes just sitting around Joe Namath's lawn chair or, or you know, uh, chair while he's sunning himself, shirtless. How great would that be? How good would that story be when I got back? Hey, you won't believe it. I got I got some pretty good access with Joe Namath by the pool. What? By the pool? You know? So, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty special. I thought there's a lot of baseball ones. Like, you go Bobby Thompson, shot heard around the world. Or Mazeroski beating the Yankees in the 60 World Series. Or Carlton Fisk shot in the Game 6 of the 75 World Series. Um, you know, there's lots of moments like that in baseball. I mean, he mentioned... You know, John mentioned Koufax's World Series perfect game. That would have been phenomenal to cover. Um, I think it, I think it would have been fun to see the Dream Team play in the Olympics. I mean, those weren't necessarily competitive games, all of them, but just how different it was in, in that collection of, of NBA talent on one team playing in the Olympics was just, you know, it, it, I mean, it was a cultural phenomenon and, and, and just, you know, tremendous – they, I mean, they said the practices were more intense than anything they did in the games. Just incredible intensity of when you get those kind of players together. So I think some of those would be great to see. Absolutely. Secretariat. Yeah. I would love only, to see Secretariat run around. The race. one that he won by like 21 lengths or yeah. something like yeah. that. Down the stretch they come. Yeah, you set the record. That was incredible. That was great. Incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many. I mean, there's so many great sporting events that you watch. They they used to, you know every now and then they'll play a classic game and I'll, I'll sit and watch. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, because I didn't get to enjoy it when it really happened. Uh, give me Super Bowl, what was it, twenty five with the Buffalo Bills and the New York Giants at Tampa Stadium and Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. Give me that one again. I'll Absolutely. sit and watch that. I mean that, and I was there, but I want to see it again. I want to see it as 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 a spectator that kind of can enjoy. I still have goosebumps when I when I listen to Whitney Houston sing that national anthem, and I did that day. I knew it was special. Everybody did, and it was a special time. Gulf War, all the American flags flying in the audience. It was really cool. Well, as a newer Tampa Bay Lightning fan, because I've only been in this area 11 years now, yeah. but I would love to go back to Game 7 of the, World too. Of the Stanley Cup in Stanley 2004, Cup. which yeah. the anniversary is Monday the 7th. So the day we're recording this is actually the 17th anniversary of that win. 17 years. Where did the time go? Yeah. That's incredible to me. But to be in the building for for that, I mean, you know, after Marty yeah. St. Louis had the double overtime goal in game six uh, in Calgary well, how, to, to send yeah. the, the game back to Tampa. How would you like to be a Lightning fan in Calgary when he did oh, that? Well, that would be that would probably be even better. <laughs> <laughs> if you could get out of there, that would be like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, those are some great moments. That Yeah, I mean, that that's the iconic, right? We've talked about iconic moments in Tampa Bay sports. I mean, would you like to be a Leitner shot in the, in the regional final? Yeah, although – yeah, I felt for Kentucky in that game, but that was an incredible game I watched on TV. I mean, everybody, you know, those are one of those stand up in your seats and go, I can't believe what I just saw and, you know, all that. Uh, that, that how about Wilt scoring 100? Don't know. Don't know how I feel about that. I mean, you know, had to be a lot of dunks. Um, Would have felt sorry for the other team. <laughs> just 100, really? Like, I mean, call out the dogs here, or one in particular, please. Uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. There's so many great moments in sports. Um, yeah, I, I watched a lot of them. Some of them in person. I've been blessed that way. But 
Yeah, give me. Would you want to go see Red Grange? You know, galloping down the field, or no, I don't want to go that far. I mean, Babe Ruth, maybe. You know, I'd like to see. Oh, yeah, Babe. Yeah, this big guy swat the the, you know the swatter, Sultan of Swat. How would you like to have been in the stands on July Fourth of what was it, nineteen thirty nine, when Lou Gehrig gave the speech? Well, that would be gripping. I mean, now that we know what it meant and what ALS is now, yeah, that would be that would be an emotional moment. Um. You know, Kobe Bryant oh, wow. scoring 60-something points his last game, mm-hmm. right? Um, that was a great moment. So so I'm watching the USF-South Alabama game mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the uh, regional final, the last Is game Is that here. on TV, by the way? It's on ESPN+. Plus. Oh, so you got to have the... Yeah. Although yeah. it might... Yeah, I think it's on ESPN+, Plus, so that's where I'm watching it. But yeah. uh, South Alabama just robbed USF of a home run. Oh, no. They're, they're down one nothing. He he brought it back from over the fence. It would have uh, been it would have been two one USF. Well, those they almost they almost doubled him off first base. I mean, he went over the wall and caught it. Wow, those kind of plays are hard to overcome. That's a great hey. play by their outfielder, South Alabama's outfielder. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this podcast, USF will be advancing to their first ever super regional in the NCAA tournament. Uh, South Alabama, meanwhile, is I think this team second most appearances in the college. Uh, the 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 tournament without advancing the College World Series, like 27 of them. So uh, they're trying to get to the College World Series for the first time in their history. And then they advance to the Super Regional after this, right? Correct. They, we go to Austin, Texas um, yeah. as far as the next the next stop before you get to the College World Series. Then it's two out of three against somebody. But, uh, yeah, it's been either way um, by the time you listen to this. It's been a heck of a season for the USF Bulls and especially a postseason for them. Just outstanding all the way. Well, a chance to recap Game 5 between Carolina and Tampa Bay. The Lightning with a chance to close out that series. The Rays begin their series against the Washington Nationals. And it's time for the Bucks' mandatory minicamp. We might even hear from Tom Brady. Won't see him, not in person. But we may hear from Tom Brady. I'll be at practice bright and early uh, at 8.30 in the morning. Check out our updates on tampabay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. So for Steve Versnick, thanks for your questions. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.